Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard creative team. We're We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now on with the show. Okay, so our guest today is English designer Emma Sims Hilditch. She got her start designing sets for Ridley Scott before opening her own firm in 2009. Her work has been featured in Vogue, House and Garden, The Telegraph, many more. And she is launching her new book with Rizzoli this month, The Evolution of Home, Interiors of a New Era. So Emma, thank you so much for joining us. It's afternoon where you are, morning where we are, but we're happy to have you on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me to join you today. It's very exciting. Yes, the book was so pretty. I have always found English interior design so enchanting. You really can't compete with the homes you have there. So much history and provenance. And then I always have sort of loved about English interiors that they always feel a little bit dressed down, like nothing's too precious. You have beautiful antiques, this beautiful architecture, but it's just very lived in. And I do feel like you do that classic kind of English look, but you put your own spin on it and you kind of phrase it like interiors of a new era. So it's sort of like an updated English. Tell us sort of about how your style evolved and how you landed on this perspective of English interiors. Yeah, it's a very, um, a very good observation. I like the fact that you observed that, you know, um, in Britain or in the UK, you know, we are incredibly lucky with the heritage and the history of the buildings that we've got. There are very few other countries in the world that have got quite the kind of level of historic buildings that we've got still intact. And actually, the whole purpose of the book came about when we were figuring out how to actually bring these houses, which many of the projects that we work on are with these historic houses. But how do we bring these houses up to date in a way that's very sympathetic um, there's nothing worse for me than going to um, see a house that perhaps has been done up, a, a historic house, and they've literally um, stripped the soul out of that incredible building. You know, for me, when we're working on our projects, we're always looking at the foundations of the building first, looking at the interior architecture first, and then aiming to preserve as much as we can the character, because with that character comes this lovely look that you have described, this look of an evolved home, a home that has been developed over time. Um, And so much of, for me, the best interiors are the ones where there is this lovely sense of character. And how we bring that character into our interiors is through all sorts of different layering of either the wall finishes, you know, the old beams that we might have in a house, the lovely rustic floors, And if we don't have those elements of the interior architecture, then we can add them. And that's kind of the exciting thing. So you don't have to have an old house. You don't have to buy an old house to create this look. In fact, we do a lot of work with newly built houses. And for me, again, it's not about just the furniture. It's about that envelope. It's about that interior architectural element first and foremost, before we start getting into the fun bit of fabrics and furniture. (laughs) 
I just love your style because you have like a, it's very balanced in the sense that you have lots of sort of decorator details, you know, a fringe trim pillow, pleated lampshades on, on men, many, if not most of the fixtures, curtains and even trims and you, you use a chintz, but then there's also this very, this like quietness as well. Lots of solid upholstery. Often I found you didn't use a rug or it was very solid, like a sisal or natural fiber. Mm -hmm. So there, it's sort of like on the, like you're sort of split down the middle of like these decorator details and then yeah. these very restrained kind of moments which I it, it's I think that's evolved over my of the sort of history of my own taste you know if we go back to how I grew up my mom was an incredible decorator I guess you know not in a professional way at all but just an amateur but she was quite a sort of trend follower which is not where I am at all so, you know, in the 70s, when I was a kid, um, we grew up with big green swirly curtains, brown formica kitchen. You know, we had the latest in what was the 70s, um, which would probably be quite cool today. So I grew up and then, you know, as we moved into the 80s, my mum's taste developed into um, a more kind of grown up look and feel. So she became, you know, we lived, always lived in country houses and she became much more what I'd call that kind of. English country house feels. So it was that relaxed with layering antiques in. In those days, there was a lot of Colfax and Fowler and Osborne and Little and all these lovely big blousy prints and things that actually have made a, an amazing comeback now in the UK. I'm not sure if they have in the States. I'd be really interested to know. But certainly in the UK, it's almost like that maximalism is now back. It's a it's a, um, I guess you'd say, you know, people are actually rebelling against the kind of um, completely neutral look, that kind of Kelly Hoffman style that was so popular 10 years ago. Um, and with that's come my own developed style. So I was very much inspired in my early marriage when I first met my husband, John. We did a lot of traveling um, in Europe. And we were doing our own renovation of a, of a sort of historic building that we bought, which was completely derelict. We didn't have a big budget at all. We were doing it on a shoestring, but we also wanted to do it well. And so we decided to travel um, to Europe because I'd read, I had a book called Building with Reclaimed Materials. And it was a beta, beta plus book. And in it were all these wonderful sources of basically places to find old stone fireplaces, places to find beautiful bricks and um, even re reclaimed staircases. And there were all these wonderful French and Belgian uh, reclamation yards. So we did a kind of tour of the reclamation yards in Belgium. And while we were doing that, I really got quite inspired by that aesthetic that I saw in Belgium, which is this very pared back, um, very calm, um, a lot of reclaimed materials. And I think in Belgium, if anyone's ever been to Belgium, it's not an exciting country uh, geographically. It's actually quite boring. <laughs> so it's flat. Um, but it does have a few beautiful towns like Ghent. Um, I mean, Brussels is beautiful in parts. Um, Antwerp is absolutely stunning. And the architecture is amazing. So I feel like there was a lot of inspiration from what you see of me today has come from this opportunity that I had 
20 years ago to travel to um, certainly Belgium, Provence, very much a place I absolutely love. Um, and then it's Italy as well. So I'm kind of a bit of a European girl, I guess, at heart. I'd, I'd like in your style to, it's so, it's so polished and yet comfortable. It's almost like, you know, if you were, if your style were an outfit, it would be the polished crisp white blouse with pearl earrings and jeans, you Aww, know, just very, <laughs> very sweet. <laughs> but yeah. I, and I love hearing about you finding reclaimed pieces and, and all of the historic places that you've worked on and rebuilt. And they have this striking balance between keeping some of the, the rustic while still having that polish of the crisp white shirt. So how do you find that balance? I guess in design, it's all about you find key pieces. So that's where we start to think about the textures and the you can think about the palette generally but you know it could be the contrast that you're going to try and achieve the atmosphere you're going to try and achieve and then you start to consider all the decorative layers so you know it might be that we've got for example in our home we've got a big barn which is like the living space where we have the kitchen the sitting room the dining area it's all in one massive room which is the old farm building which is a barn and it's very light, it's very airy. And in there we've used a pop of color just on the kitchen island. You know, we've used this gorgeous, quite acidic green, I guess you could call it acidic. It's a Neptune paint, which is my husband's um, company. We, we do, I help him with all the creative direction, I guess you could say for Neptune as well. So I've got two hats on always. I've got my interior design business, Simsildich. And then I'm also a kind of creative founder in Neptune. So we do something really fun in our home every year. As we're testing the colors, the new palettes, we, we paint our kitchen island a different color and we paint our entrance hall the seasonal color. So every season it changes. It sounds like that's quite a dramatic thing to do, but actually it's so, it's so effective and it's so easy and it can create such a lovely different atmosphere, you know, from season to season. So autumn, winter will be a really dark green called Constable Green, which is going to be almost like a black green. And then in the next spring, we might be doing something like a lovely warm yellow. So it transforms the space very easily. Twice a year? Paint. I love it. That's <laughs> what, I mean, it sounds crazy. It's fun though. It sounds crazy. Twice but a year it's a like, It is. We don't have to do it because sometimes what happens is we love the colour so much that we've painted. We go, no, we're not going to change that one this year. But, you know, it, that's an extreme because we're obviously in the industry. We are wanting to experiment. Mm -hmm. We're wanting to use our own home as a, as a test bed, really, before we send it out into the big wide world. Um, but you know, I can't really remember what your question was. Sorry. <laughs> it was a very good question. That's okay. We love to get off topic because it sometimes leads yeah. to a great... <laughs> Great place. I, I think I was talking about atmosphere you can create in different rooms. So in our big barn, we've got this lovely light breezy atmosphere. In the room next door, it's the old part of the cottage. It was like an old schoolhouse built in 1790. And that room used to be our kitchen before we converted the barn, which is attached to the cottage now. But in the old days, that used to be our kitchen. It's north facing. It's really dark. 
And in the old days, it was the kitchen. We painted it as light as we could to try and make this room feel brighter. Whatever we did, we just couldn't make it feel nice as a kitchen. We then moved our kitchen. And since then, we've created this lovely sort of snug sitting room. And we've painted it a really dark, rich brown. And it's absolutely gorgeous. We've got a wood burner in there. We've used dark fabrics. We've used oak um, furniture, um, some lovely sort of washed oak finishes. And it has a totally wonderful feel, which it never had when it was the kitchen. So it's interesting. Okay. While we're on the topic of color and you mentioned creating atmosphere, I loved that element in your chapter about sitting rooms. You talk about creating atmosphere and you talked about and this is actually sort of woven through the book, but like certain colors to use or avoid depending on the light. So you kind of say like mm-hmm. use a richer hue in south facing rooms because of the sun bleaching and not using pastels mm-hmm. in north facing rooms because they don't. So uh, can yeah. you like kind of explain that I for our listeners and the reasoning behind it? Yeah, I think it's um, I think what, what I would always say is that if you've got a dark face, a dark room, um, like a you know, um, a north-facing or northeast-facing room. Um, the last thing you want to try and do is to actually make it fight nature and make it light. So I would always say, if you've got a, a north-facing room, think about creating a cozy, warmer atmosphere, taking the colours to a more richer um, tone, and perhaps choosing, almost getting the having the opportunity to make it really um, atmospheric with a dark colour, even paint and ceiling. A darker color um what that then does is just yeah it means that you've got a contrast between that room and then when you go into a south facing room you've got this wonderful feeling of light which you've already got because you've got the natural light coming in don't paint a south facing room dark because that will be um you know working again fighting again nature because the light will bleach it in and then you won't really appreciate that dark color in the same way that you would if you were in a a north-facing room. So I think um, south-facing rooms are easy to decorate pretty much any color you want, but I would definitely ver on the softer colors or like the paler colors there. Um, You could use blues. I always like to use blues and greens and calming colors in bedrooms. When I say blue, you don't have to paint the whole room blue, but you can use that as your palette perhaps um, a greeny blue color would look really good in a bedroom with those lovely neutral tones that we often use as well. So, um, it, it, I wouldn't normally suggest using a pink or a, a bright pink or a, a red or a rich red in a bedroom because I think that's not a calming, um, sort of tone for, for sleep. It's not going to induce good sleep. Um, certainly not like a purple or anything like that. I would never use a purple in a, in a bedroom. Um, I've actually just repainted, I've redone my bedroom with, um, it's always been these lovely off-whites. It's the barn, but it's the top, uh, the sort of first floor of the barn. And I've just, I've just got a real thing about yellow recently. I don't know why. I've never liked yellow before. <laughs> I feel like yellow is the new gray. <laughs> and, that's yeah. fantastic. I love when colors creep in like that. Yeah. You never looks, think that you're going to use that color. I know. And it looks so good with gray. That's the lovely thing about yellow. It's actually, if you've already got, can you, if you, if you went that gray route five years ago and you don't want to repaint everything, 
If, but if you want to just create this lovely new feeling, an uplifting feeling, then adding yellow with grey is a beautiful combination. So, are you doing like a, a lemon yellow? Is it a mustard yellow? What 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 yes. what are we talking yeah. about? Um, yes, it's a sort of um, it's between the two. I would say really, it's it's not lemony lemon. It's not like a very um, bright, you know, lemony yellow. But it's also not a dark mustard. It's something kind of a fresher tone between the two. And I've just done it on upholstery. So I've got cushions on the bed and I've got um, a window seat cushion and I've upholstered a chair with a lovely yellow print. And then everything else, I've still got my black and almost black and white floral headboard. And then it's very, it's just a very contemporary bed. The rest of it's totally neutral, but just that pop of yellow is gorgeous in a bedroom. (laughs) You talk in your chapter about bedrooms about the first thing you do is you address the storage. Why is that priority number one in a bedroom? I think storage is probably, I mean, for us as a design practice, we're really all about practicality before we sort of even think about the aesthetics of the room. And I think storage in a bedroom is so key and it can be so badly overlooked. We, you know, we're all fortunate in our lives now where clothes are very easy to get hold of. People do tend to have bigger wardrobes, bigger amounts of clothes and shoes than they used to have. Um, But how do we accommodate those and how do we actually design the spaces for them? Well, I would personally rather make sure that any size bedroom, whether it's literally just with a a four foot bed and enough room for two bedside tables, I'd rather that bedroom had a really good fitted wardrobe, well, we call it wardrobe, I think we call it closet. So I'd rather that bedroom had a really good wardrobe than it just had a chest of drawers and a freestanding hanging thing, which didn't give you enough space. So it's amazing how small a bedroom can be to still be incredibly effective if it's well designed. So yeah, storage is something we look at very carefully in the bedroom and the bathroom. Well, and then you also mentioned um, Um, like asymmetrical nightstands doing a dresser as a nightstand instead of just you know kind of something small um and the fact that it being asymmetrical was was a key element so what what's Mm. behind that i mean i think we can get so hung up on everything being symmetry 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 and you know if you think about it in nature hardly anything is i mean you look at you know i'm i my view here is looking out at some beautiful trees um out on a bank the other side of the um, office I'm sitting in and each tree is individually um, unique it's a different shape it's a different size but together they look beautiful and I I think at St Tildish with our design practice we're very much always looking to nature to inspire us so you know both with color you know when people say well can I mix green and blue together well you only have to look outside to say yes of course you do because the sky is blue and beautiful greenery you know it, they work really well together um but just as you know symmetry is the same you don't have to have i mean sometimes symmetry can be really pleasing but it's almost more predictable so i kind of like to shake it up a bit sometimes that makes sense and and like in a bedroom often it's already so symmetrical because the bed sort of creates that you know you got lights on each side the bed is split in half and yeah the thing about using too much symmetry is it can start to look a bit like a hotel bedroom 
And, you know, that's what you'd expect in a hotel bedroom because that's the way they design them. Um, if you wanted to look evolved over time and you wanted to have this feeling of um, the evolution of the home, I guess, you know, the name of the book says it really. If you want to feel like, you know, I, I picked up that chest of drawers from a, um, an antique shop and then, you know, I inherited this nightstand and, and the lamps are different, but they look really cool together. And it's just that having that bravery to say it doesn't all have to be symmetrical. I think it's quite mm-hmm. nice. Well, and you also mentioned like brown furniture in the bedroom. So, I mean, we are so pleased that brown furniture is coming back because it really adds so much. Why don't you make the case to our, our listeners about why they need some brown furniture? Absolutely. There's many reasons why, but the first and foremost would definitely be top of the list for me would be the environmental reason. The world is awash with beautiful antiques that have been made absolutely beautifully and have lasted already maybe 200 years. They were made to last when they were built. They are better than any piece that you possibly buy off the shelf new for that price. You know, let's face it, we can buy, I mean, in in dollars, I'm not sure, but, you know, a chest of drawers, you know, to keep your clothes in, um, in Walmart, in an antique shop near me, I could probably buy for four or five hundred pounds. So call it the same in dollars as it's about the same at the moment. That piece is going to last you another hundred years. And so environmentally, it's the best thing we could possibly do, I think. It also adds an element of history to your home. It's an immediate way that you can create character and history to something you might not have otherwise. So um, just one or two brown pieces in each room can really change the dynamic, I feel. I also just love the warmth. I feel I feel like people kind of gravitate towards white furniture so much. And when everything's white mm. or, you know, a light color, like you kind of, that wood just feels so warm and good. Yeah, warm. I don't know any other word to say it. Contrast as well, I think, um, is so important. And I always say that it's a bit like you know, adding these sort of contrasting elements, whether it's just a black frame to your windows, not necessarily black, but, you know, a darker, painting your window frames darker or beautiful bronze handles on a white cupboard or a brown piece of furniture. It's almost like the mascara on your face that it just sta- makes it stand out, makes the room sing, whereas without it, it's just bland. It could be bland. Is that a word you use in America? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Yeah, those finishing touches are really fantastic. I was going to ask about the about your lamp situation, your lighting in bedrooms. Do you find that you need the same lamp on either side of the bed for the symmetry? That's a good question. And you know, the other day, I, I actually we were just redecorating our um, family bedrooms at home, and for the first time, I kind of said to the kids, "We've got the three children; they're all in their late twenties, early thirties," and I said to them, "Right." You know, I've done redecorating before, but this time I want to have a bit of a um, opportunity to sort out all your possessions, put them in a box. I'm not going to throw anything away, but I just want to do this. I want to do the house for the next 25, 30 years. I want to make it feel like anyone could come and stay at any time, either children or family or friends. 
and have one of the bedrooms and use it as a as a nice guest bedroom rather than them all being kind of child clutter. Um, so we did get rid of things and we did. But what I did was I did te- uh, keep the lighting that I had in the house already because I thought this is a good way to re- you know reuse um, rather than just buying new for the sake of it. And I did have two different lamps and two different bedsides in this particular bedroom. And it looks really lovely. So I'm I'm pretty confident you can do that. Um, yeah. So how did you get the balance? Basically, I did was, um, I think we had, so on one side, I've got a bigger chest of drawers than the other. So one side is a larger piece of furniture and then the lamp. And then on the other side, it's a narrower piece. And that I used a taller lamp with a slightly bigger shade. So it was slightly sort of um, almost mirroring the sizes, the scales, both sides of the bed, but in different pieces. That sounds complicated. It wasn't really. It just kind of happened and it looked nice. (laughs) There's not much science behind it, really. Um, I, I feel like... You know when it you know when it works, and um, it's almost something you have to do by eye. And that sounds tricky for a person who who maybe isn't an interior designer to actually test that. Um, I think you have to do what you feel looks right for you. And some people are much more OCD about okay, I really want everything lined up and straight lines, and I want all the pieces to be mirrored. Then that's fine as well. It's, it's personal, I guess. There's no rules in design. Well, I loved how you broke up the book um, and you really made it so easy for people, again, to break it down by uh, what areas they're working on. Would you walk us through almost your kind of working office kind of spaces and some of the things you like to do in those spaces? Um, so by that, do you mean like homework spaces, like when you're working in a, in a study at home or? Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, you know, we do have these conversations with our clients and much more now than we might have done three or four years ago. So everyone's been so used to working at home. And we actually do talk about the dual use of perhaps bedroom and combining it with a, um, you know, a home study office space. So um, we've been doing a lot of that recently. Um, maybe you have a single bed and you make it feel like a sort of um, day bed and then you have um, that as an overflow for if you had a sort of single person come to stay or you have a pull-out trundle bed below um, where you could have two children in that room as overflow space. So I think studies, it's a luxury to have a, a, a dedicated study. Not everyone has that luxury of being able to, to have that. So it's how you find these working spaces that can be peaceful that you can shut away the office at night because I think you know I grew up um, my business sort of grew organically from the kitchen table and for the first probably 12 to 15 years I was working from home and shuffling from one room to the next as I my business grew Um, at the end I had eight people working out of our kind of front sitting room that's when we actually had done the barn conversion so I was able to dedicate the front sitting room into a, a, a studio workspace. But my husband pointed out that it is so stressful seeing the work in the home. So I think anyone who's trying to work from home, the most important thing for me when I'm considering homework is how you can shut it away at night and not have that kind of visual 
reminder at eight o'clock at night of you know the pens and paper and computers. So we design joinery a lot to hide hide the workspace. So it might be like we have a pull-out desk that you can push away at night and it's got cupboard doors to close all the all the mess and muddle away if you're not a particularly tidy person. Um yeah, it's just being practical, which is what we are really all the time thinking about the practicalities of design. I was curious if maybe we could rewind a little bit and go back to your background as a set designer because yeah. I would love to hear how that kind of informs your your business now, types of things that you learn yeah. decorating a set that I think because I worked um, in the production company um, Ridley Scott for about three and a half years. And I, what, what you have to remember is that I started um, my business when I was pretty young still. I was 25. So actually my history of working outside my business is actually not, not very extensive. So when I was at Ridley Scott, I, I, was, um, I went in as a runner. Um, I started life um, literally on the film sets it, we were doing commercials for Ridley so it was his um, UK arm to his um, film company so in America he has a company making the movies and then he would come back to London and he'd do what we kind of called the bread and butter work which was basically commercials it could have been Levi's jeans it could have been um, MasterCard in those days I remember we did an Alan Wicker um, he was like a very British guy and I just remember this whole thing going to um, I didn't go because I was just organizing it but I'm organizing a a hot air balloon shoot in Africa um, with Ridley Scott doing the doing the filming I think the most important thing I learned in that three and a half years was the importance of organization amongst the creativity so the creative side yes of course we're working with what the best people in the world at their job. I mean, he was literally and still is top of his game. So you'd learn about scale, you'd learn about proportion, you'd learn about, you know, seeing design on a really big scale of the sort of sets he was building. Um, But behind the scenes, it was this incredible organizational side to his um, operation. And that was the bit that I was kind of, I found was the best learning I could have had. Um, was the rigor involved about about when you're doing a set um you know you've got thousands millions of pounds worth of money being invested in a very short time and if you get anything wrong um you're going to pay for it um, and it's not going to be a funny mistake so you cannot afford to to allow anything not to be working like clockwork so yes i got creatively inspired working um with ridley scott and his production company it was much more about how I take the um, organizational side into an interior design company. And that's what I always say to customers is actually um, the creative part is probably only like 50 or even 40% of of a successful design practice. (laughs) It's what goes on around the sort of side of that that's important. I don't, yeah, the procurement I feel like has gotten a lot of attention the past couple of years with all of the supply chain issues, you know, people really took that for granted up until there was a huge wrench thrown into the whole situation. (laughs) No one could get anything. And what we, you know, know, it's so true. Um, But also, you know, we're about 
we have to make sure that we provide all that technical information before the builders arrive on site, before the contractors are starting the job, because we need to give them the plans of what we need them to build and design, or what we've designed and what we need them to build, so that they're completely ready, rather like a sort of set on a film. You can't afford to have the builders hanging around for a week because you haven't finished your drawings and you haven't got everything um, totally and utterly planned out. So we have an interior architecture team, we have a um, decoration team, and we have a project management team in our business. So there's three totally different skills involved, plus a finance team and a marketing, marketing team. But those three work hand in glove with each other to create this holistic approach to these houses that you see, these designs that you see. They're not just done in a kind of relaxed or flippant way. There's a lot that goes into them, um, technical detailing, um, costing. People want to know what it's going to cost as well. Right. I just wanted to really speak, to hear you tell us how can we get more of this European look in our homes? Because all three of us are sitting in our very American spaces, wondering how do we get just this overall feeling that you, you know, your work protrudes. Oh, that's lovely. Well, um, I guess it's, so if we talk about the finishes of the architectural finishes first, and then we talk about the decoration second. So with the finishes, I think, um, I don't know what kind of rooms you're thinking of, but I always like the idea that you look at the four walls, the ceiling and the floor first. And you think, okay, how are these layers, how are these going to build up to create this lovely shell, this box that we're going to then fill with the furniture? Um, and each one has its own opportunities, really. If you look at it like that, you think, okay, it could just be a white painted box, or it could be a beautiful tongue and groove paneled wall. It could have a rustic stone floor, or it could have a lovely timber floor. And then the ceiling um, could either be painted in a contrast darker color, just for some kind of giving a totally different atmosphere. Or it could be, we love using this rough boarding, which is a textured plank of wood um, that can just be applied to the ceiling, to the roof, to give that rustic charm, I guess you could call it. So that's the thing to look at first, because that's really going to be your, your kind of an envelope of, of the textures. And then onto that, it's how do we look at, for example, the window treatments? Um, I'm not sure whether you know you, you kind of appreciate in England we have this real I suppose the kind of projects I'm working on the curtain treatments are really important um, the quality of how they're made and we I, I started when I started my business I actually started with curtain making so I was a curtain maker to start with so I learned how to do handmade interlined lined beautiful curtains like the top quality curtains you could imagine and I think they are a very important part of the whole layer. Um, and they don't have to be patterned. They could just be plain. And, and then you add your pattern through your um, decorative details. So, for example, cushions, you know, do you call them pillows, I think, in America? But um, the, the scatter cushions we put on the sofas. So 
I like to use natural materials always. I love using linen, um, Belgian linen, 100% linen. If I can, I would always default to that. Um, or a really good quality cotton linen mix. I hate using anything like chenille. I'm kind of a 50-50 on velvet. I don't know if I like it or not. I wouldn't. I use it sometimes, but... And I do love a good floral print. Like, um, do you know Lee Jofer? Of course. Yeah. I mean, gorgeous. Oh, they are so beautiful. Um, because we work with GP and Jay Baker in the UK quite a lot. And, and they obviously are part of the Lee Jofer umbrella. But their florals are so timeless and their color palette is so soft and elegant. And that's, I think, how we can introduce that sort of Englishness is having those almost faded florals that don't look too brand new. Hope that helps. I don't know. You kind of, you, you kind of mentioned in the book, like creating the atmosphere and we've talked about that. We kind of touched on it a few times, but it's a lot more than just the furniture. So what are some other ways to kind of give your room that charm even after you've decorated? Yeah. I mean, lighting is a key thing that we, always like to focus on um, and we bring up in the conversations right in the early stages because if you've got the chance to influence the lighting scheme then it can really make a room it can totally make a room I mean if you get the lighting wrong you can spend a fortune on a room and it still doesn't have that lovely atmosphere at night so we look at the lighting very um, you know in the very beginning early stages and we always think of um, the different layers of light. So we always think about you've got down lights in the ceiling, possibly pendants or chandeliers, wall lights at eye level, and then table lamps at low level. And all, all of those are equally important. They all do different jobs, um, but they obviously all need to be balanced. So it's no good having your um, lighting on just on a switch, which you can do on and off. It's got to be on a dimmer, really, so that you can adjust the temperature and adjust the atmospheres. Um, and we do work with quite a lot of lighting consultants and, and some of our clients want to have that kind of fully um, neutron um, scene setting. Well, it couldn't, doesn't have to be neutron, it can be any make, but you know, the scene setting where you just have one, two, three, four buttons and then you program all of the lights to do all the different things. That's great. Um, it's quite expensive. And most of my clients are actually a little bit more old school and they say, actually, I just want to be able to turn the light on and off and dim it on the dot, you know, on the dolly. But yeah, we, we really focus on lighting very, very heavily. And there's nothing worse than sitting down on an armchair wanting to read the newspaper or a, a book and then not be able to see because you haven't got the lamp in the right place. So if we have the opportunity, we'll always put um, a light, a floor box socket underneath all the furniture in the middle of the room so you don't have cables trailing. It's just little details like that really that are, that are important. I wanted to say something about the upholstery. It seems that it is always more plush than anything like overstuffed cushions everywhere. Is that true or false? <laughs> I think we're very much uh, at the sort of, in the UK, we are very uh, focused on the comfort of our sofas or upholstery. Um, 
particularly in my business, I think we're, we love the older, more traditional shapes and designs. So we'll be, you know, working, even though we might be making the upholstery ourselves from, um, our local, um, you know, a maker, we will design the upholstery based on a, perhaps on a shape that's, you know, an antique. Um, but most importantly, it's what goes inside the seat cushions and the filling of that. So we like, we all always offer our clients two options. One would be, um, a feather and down seat cushion, um, which is fully immersive. When you sit in it, you just sink into this wafty, lovely. But the problem is when you get up, it looks terrible because it hasn't risen back up again with you. So as an alternative for people who don't want to have to do that constant plumping of cushions, we, um, offer a of what we call in England, we call it a feather sandwich. So it's basically a core, a foam. Then it's like a duvet of feather all wrapped up in a sort of fiber blanket. So it's kind of like this wonderful combination of everything, all the best. And when you sit down, you get this lovely, comfortable experience. And then when you stand up, it just comes back up. Oh my God, feather sandwich. I'm going to have to, we're going to have to share that with our upholstery. Feather sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> the best of sandwiches. I know. <laughs> it, it's probably something, it probably sounds so strange with in America. It's like a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> with jelly on it's top. the perfect <laughs> description that I think everyone can visualize it now. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do pay, but mm-hmm. we do pay attention to our pillow. We do pay a lot of attention to our, our cushions and our pillows. You know, it's the opportunity where you can really add that extra layer of detail uh, maybe a lovely little fan edge or a piping in a contrast color or a texture um, it is those details it's the sum of all those details that make up this lovely um, feel of that, it, that it's all sort of evolved and it's come together but it's not it's not too perfect either so how you achieve that balance I think is through the materiality it's through like perhaps the linen having a little bit of creased effect on it. It doesn't all have to be immaculate. Otherwise, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel lifted. Do you do you have the feather sandwich at home, or do you do all feather? I have the feather sandwich because I'm very practical <laughs> <laughs> with my, my kids and my family. So yes, I have the feather sandwich. <laughs> Pillows are so great too because that's a, such a great way to experiment in your home too. If you if you like a color, if you don't like a color, if you'd like a fabric, you don't like a fabric. It's an easy kind of gateway into trying something new. Yeah, exactly. And I think you can also do it seasonally. And I know, you know, maybe that doesn't sound like most people's bag, but I think it's a lovely thing to do. So you can easily seasonally just change the cushion covers, uh, the pillow covers. So you can have wool plaid in the winter and then you can have floral in the summer. And that's just such a great way to totally transform the feel of the room. I used to work with clients who would have summer and winter curtains. I mean, that was like a real luxury. I haven't actually come across anyone who does that anymore, but that was a real thing in the early 80s, was transforming the house with cur- different curtains. Can you imagine doing work? We were talking recently about changing the rugs seasonally, no. and that just seems crazy. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I think stick to pillows, stick to the pillows. Fresh flowers. Yes. I would like to bring the conversation back to the kitchen for a second. You mentioned in your book that you've learned a lot about making use of every space and every inch of the kitchen while you were sailing on your boat. And that sounds like that takes so much careful planning. And one of the things that you talk about is building a kitchen within a kitchen. Can you explain what you mean? By that term? 
do you know, I'm not really sure what I mean by that. (laughs) Okay, never mind. Good. (laughs) We might have to, I might have to think about building a kitchen within a kitchen. I don't remember saying that. Um, What I, I, I suppose, I mean, going, talking about the idea of this storage being vitally important in a kitchen. And yeah, we did. I have realized that actually having a huge kitchen especially in America where houses are like probably twice the size on average, you know, if we're talking about big houses, your houses are a lot bigger than ours. And you end up with these gigantic spaces um, where you have to walk, you know, three or four meters to get to one cupboard and the other. I think for me, the whole um, practicality of designing a kitchen is about having everything almost within arm's length. So you can go from getting the spices to the saucepan, to the fridge and, and to the larder to get the food. It's all within easy distance. And the best layout for me is definitely um, the island, having the, we call it an island, with the cooker on the wall, the back wall, and then perhaps on a right angle, having your storage and your fridge and um, you know, all your pantry, your dry goods, and the sink perhaps next to the cooker. So you've got this really good um, ergonomic kind of space planning so that that's so i, I you know it, it's sometimes can be detrimental to have too big a kitchen it, it's it's just making sure everything is easy to get to and accessible and usable for that space and that practice like what you're doing in that space yeah i think it's lovely to have you know what you can do is the further away from the hub the work hub you get the less related to the cooking it becomes so if you've got space to do a big joinery wall, then down the other end, it might be the things you store things that you're not using so often. So you might store the big casserole dishes or the dinner service that you don't use so often. So I always think of it almost like um, branching out, you know, from the central hub is where you want the things you're using on a daily basis. And then gradually, as you get further out in the kitchen, you might have your bookshelf with all your recipe books. You might go and grab one from or or even, you know, the, the finer china that you don't use so often, that kind of thing. Just thinking about it practically, really. Are your islands a lot of where they have stools set in for seating? Or do you find you just have a lot that are storage prep? No, we mostly our islands do include seating. It's a very popular sort of sociable way of um, integrating the cook the workspace with the kind of fam- the rest of the family in an informal way so i think island living is just brilliant i absolutely love it because I, I think what's good is it it kind of delineates the work i'm a, i'm the cook in our house and i certainly don't often get anyone coming my side of the island <laughs> and, unless they're washing up for me but generally speaking um you know friends family gather around the island you can't help that they just do they just want to they want to lean on the island and chat to you so why not you know make it sociable and put the bastards there as well i mean it's, it's a nice it's a really nice feature to have that well this dovetails very nicely with our dilemma which i think it's time for us to get to So we have a question from Jackie she's asking about our kitchen. So I'm just going to do it. I'm going to read it real quick and um, 
Emma, you can jump in and then we'll all kind of chat about it. So, all right. It's from Jackie. She says, hello, wonderful podcast, ladies and guests. Thank you so much for your show. It's always such a treat to listen to. And I feel like I've learned so much. My dilemma is my kitchen. We built about two years ago with limited cabinet and counter choices. And this is where we landed on living with it for a while. It feels very builder grade and cold. The window is South facing. So there is lots of natural light, which I love. I would love to incorporate blues and greens to make it feel more custom. I'm loving Taryn's new kitchen and wish I could copy and paste it. I'm open to painting anything, but would rather not replace the countertop as at this point. I was thinking about installing wallpaper, vinyl or sealed for a backsplash and pulling some color from it to paint the connected mudroom and pantry and have the lower cabinets professionally painted. Any suggestions would be so welcomed. I won't be able to get to the kitchen for a bit because the other projects, but I wanted to get some trusted input to stew on. Oh, and the dog crate isn't staying there forever. We've gated up the puppy and it will be moved. So disregard the dog crate in the, in the foreground. Thank you so much, Jackie. Great. I'm just going to look at the pictures <laughs> of your lovely kitchen, Jackie. Um, because yeah, I mean, it's got fantastic bones to it and I can see that, um, you know, there's masses of storage. Um, it's got good contrast, which is what we were talking about earlier, like the dark and the light, I think is really beautiful. I kind of almost, I can't tell. Yeah. You have got an overhang, haven't you? For the bar stools. I almost wouldn't change the, um, the white cabinets because I think, for me personally, it's much easier to paint a white a wall, and especially as your walls aren't, you haven't got many walls, there's a lot of joinery, it would be easier to paint the walls and change it again if you don't like it or if you want to have a change than to repaint the kitchen. Because I think having a white kitchen is a really good starting point and the contrasting black tops are, you know, are smart. One thing we do a lot in England is with worktops is that we hone what's called have honed finish. Um, and I can't tell whether your black worktops are actually polished or honed. I think they might be polished, which means they're quite shiny. Um, for us um, at Simtildich, we would, if we came across a worktop like yours, I think I would get a quote to get it honed. And it's it's actually quite an easy process. You, you basically use a big sander and you sand it down and um, then you use a special seal um, in England, it's called, I think it's called stain stop. And, and you get a contractor to do this for you, but it's amazing the difference. And it takes away that slightly, I think you used the word developer. I'm not sure if you did, but that, that, that slightly sort of builder, builder look, that bit of a bling builder look. And it will just give it that much, much softer edge. So that's the first thing I might consider. I think you're missing a trick in having some pendant lights over the bar. And I don't know how easy that would be now, whether your electrician could fit some pendants, but that's going to give you a fantastic opportunity to have something quite, you know, punchy, dramatic. You could use fabric covered shades, fabric colored shades to bring that color in, those blues and greens. Or, or you could do like a, almost like a lovely French, what do you call them? French porcelain pendant. And they do them in lots of different colors. In England, we've got a, a lovely company called Hector Finch. And they do, I'm sure we can put a link on the web, but they do lovely colorful shades that are practical because they're, um, they're made of China. So they're not fabric. And fabric in a kitchen possibly can kind of gather 
the, the grease and the dirt and the dust. So that's the other thing I thought might be quite nice. And then, and then whether you actually do take the wall space, um, you know, behind your cabinetry and paint it in a, in a soft bluey gray. And, and I've got one of my favorite colors is, um, Farinball Mizzle. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've got, you can get Farinball in America or you could use a company, you know, a similar company, but, um, Mizzle, Mizzle is oh, like, yes. it's almost describing very, very fine rain. But it's a beautiful, soft, bluey, greeny gray. It's not a cold. Mm -hmm. It's in my front hallway. <laughs> Interesting. So you could use mizzle maybe, or or you could go darker with something like blue gray. Um, you know, it depends how how strong you want it. And then perhaps bar stools covered in a a fabric, depending on if you've got young children, um, and if that's not too impractical, then a fabric. Basketball could be a really fun way to put some pattern and color in um, to the room. So there's various ways I think we could do it quite quite easily um, with those ideas. I loved your idea about the pendant, and we have okay, we have this one light that I think would be perfect. We've talked about it many times before on the show, but it's called our Margot double pendant. Mm -hmm. And you can take a page out of Emma's book and use a pleated patterned shade on the Margot pendant. It's two of them and it sort of hangs like side by side. Um, and I feel like that would be a great way to bring some softness, kind of like you're talking about, yeah. get a coordinating set of bar stools and... Mm -hmm. And maybe yeah. even look at the curtain because I feel like that sort of soft white floaty curtain um, possibly could be swapped for something with a bit more texture. You know, it could be a heavier linen or a, or a pattern that maybe a small a complementary pattern to the bar to the bar stools. Something that you know added another dimension that was I don't know just slightly less floaty. Um, mm -hmm. with a bit more structure. And then I would probably do a, a coordinating Roman blind on the window. It looks like above the window, you've got an opportunity to put a bit of fabric up there as well, whether you actually ever close it or whether it's just a, a decorative blind, but it would just break up that wall space and soften the window a bit. You know, she kind of mentions like wanting to paper the backsplash. You don't feel like she should be doing that. I'm not she sure should maybe. The right room to do it in i think you're it's always going to be you know with steam um against the cooker where you're boiling things you're going to get the papers going to start to peel off i think um and you might mm -hmm. just feel a bit too precious about that i would probably save the wallpaper for somewhere you could do a wallpaper if, it, if this room carries on i'm not quite sure what happens around the corner but whether there's a wall or what another wall on away from the kitchen independently you could maybe paper one wall that that can look lovely um and pick out an, a, a pattern that that was complementary to the mizzle or the blue gray paint color perhaps that would be a that, that could be nice to, to bring the wallpaper in in a slightly um less impractical place than behind the cooker and the behind the sink Mm -hmm. When I see your kitchen, Jackie, I feel like everything is very along. It's um, like all of the attention is drawn to the exterior walls and your island, like 
I feel like adding more wallpaper to the exterior, to the outer walls is going to draw more attention to the outer walls. Whereas if you build up more of your focal point into the middle, like with the pendant and the bar stools, it'll like balance all of the, yeah. the activity on the exterior, if that makes sense. And the other thing you could do actually, just looking at it again, is you could just paint the island. So that could look really good. So what you could have is, for example, mizzle on the walls behind the um, behind the cabinetry, and then you could go for either blue, grey, or pigeon, which is two shades darker, and just do the island, the central island, in that, and that would be really nice. I'm not sure about the handles of the kitchen. That is a we do often look at handles and say, you know, okay, to completely transform your kitchen, you can actually just change the handles and it's amazing the difference. But then you've got these bar handles at the moment. So if you took them off, you're going to end up with holes in which would need filling. So it might not be that you need to do that. Maybe you do everything else first and then, but I, I do think generally it's a really lovely looking kitchen. I just think it just, it needs a bit of finishing as you say, and then it's going to look amazing. Mm-hmm. Liz, Taryn. Any thoughts? I just was honored that she left my kitchen. That was that was what I I left my I stopped there. I was like, thank you. So lovely. Oh no, As she should tear in your kitchen's pretty great. It is. I love your dog bed. <laughs> well, that dog bed I guess is going thank to go somewhere. Is that like a um? Because I know that's quite a, a popular thing now for dogs to have the um the cage. Oh, the cage that she crate. has. Yeah. Would that is that forever or is that just while they're a puppy? No, she said that's not. I was forever. gonna say I think most people yeah. You could put a rug down where that is. What what's beyond that area of the crate? Is there a dining table? It's we we don't we don't know because we don't see the other mm. part of the room, but it does appear to be open to another mm. part another of room. the Yeah. So I mean you could put yeah. a pattern I mean that would be if you wanted a little bit more of a vibrant um, you know, something like a keelum, but then again, I mean, it's not something that we would probably do in a kitchen because it's just not the most practical thing to have a rug in a kitchen, really, if it's a big high traffic area. Well, I feel like this was all that, that was such good advice, also because um, she really doesn't have to do all that much, you yeah. know, in terms of uh, like, Cost. Do, you know, no. yeah, no. so paint and lighting it sounds. Um, so doable. I mean, you always love to hear when a designer says, you don't need to do all that much. That's a great, mm. you know, that's great feedback. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's it's all about um, just being, just, just it's just the finishing touches. And so often I do come to houses where they've got 75% of the way there and, it, you know, they've made great progress and made, I've done really good bones, but it's then that next, it's that final layer of decoration that then can people can get stuck on and not be able to make choices um so it's it's just having that almost like another person to just say i think this is what you should do and then it makes the life so much easier um can just get on yes <laughs> well jackie best of luck please send us photos after you've you know judged it up a little bit and um let us know how it turned out and Emma, can you tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, see your work, and pick up your brand new book? Thank you. Um, so our website is www.simshildage.com. That's all one word, no hyphen. 
Um, we're on Instagram. So I have my Instagram, which is Emma underscore Sims underscore Hilditch. And we have our main studio um, Instagram as well, which is Sims Hilditch. Um, we also have our beautiful book out now, which you can buy on Amazon, um, Ritzoli Bookshops, and um, I think it's going to be across across various bookshops in America. I mean, Ritzoli are, have got a fantastic coverage um, so they're an amazing publisher. I know we're in Barnes and Noble, is it, in New York? Oh, that sounds exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah that yeah. sounds right. Um, and then in the UK, we're with Waterstones and all the kind of usual places, really. But maybe the easiest place is, is Amazon, probably. I'm not sure. Have a look and see. But yeah, available on our website as well. And we can happily ship to America if needed. Well, thank you so much. It was such a treat to get to to see your book and to speak with you. It's been a great pleasure. And, and thank you for inviting me to join your lovely podcast. And I shall now listen avidly to all the other episodes, which uh, I haven't had time to do yet. I think there's 700 to get through. Yeah, we've got a lot, but probably fantastic. Yeah, always, <laughs> always eager to, to speak to new people. So great. it was fun. Really good. Thank you all so much. And that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy Happy decorating. decorating!